This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. American soccer has problems. It's not a secret. In October 2017, I was able to witness those problems firsthand. I sat as close as I possibly could to the action when NASL went head-to-head with U.S. soccer in a Brooklyn courtroom. And for some weird reason, MLS lawyers were there too. In fact, they were the only ones sitting on the U.S. soccer side of the room. But the NASL side was packed with soccer fans, journalists, team owners, and other members of the soccer community. I actually was fortunate enough to sit next to two of New York Cosmos players. And it was very easy to tell that NESL were the good guys. And I was very lucky to meet Rocco Camiso for a very brief moment in the hallway outside of the courthouse. um, Or sorry, outside of the courtroom. And you're going to hear me actually tell him that story uh, during the podcast. I had another chance to see some of American soccer's problems firsthand when I went to the NASL final between the San Francisco Deltas and the New York Cosmos in San Francisco. And I'm not talking about problems at the game or on the field. I'm talking about problems after the game and off the field. One of the Cosmos executives had invited me to join him, the staff, and the team for dinner. And I was with a group of Cosmos supporters that flew out just for the game, and I asked if they could tag along. And it was absolutely no surprise that... The Cosmos welcomed all of us with open arms. But the mood in the room was a little strange at first. It was just us fans and some of the office staff, and no one really knew what to expect. It was a little bit awkward because the Cosmos had just lost the final, and they didn't know if they were even going to have a team to play for or a league to play in next season. There was a lot of questions. But the players arrived one by one, and it actually didn't take long for a very, very positive vibe to fill the room. And I was kind of bouncing around having just uh, as many conversations as I possibly could, but I overheard a very interesting conversation happening between one of the Cosmos players and some of the fans that came with me. So I kind of wiggled my way into their circle, and I listened to him talk about the big differences between their last encounter with the league possibly folding and this year's experience. There was a major difference, actually. The major difference was that he wasn't worried. Rocco Camiso had already reassured all of the players, all of the office staff, all of the executives that they had paychecks coming. And this was a big change from pre- from the previous year when the Cosmos were rumored to be folding, and this is before Rocco bought the team. And even though everyone in the room that night ended up smiling and singing and dancing... I was able to get a true feel for just how much of an impact U.S. soccer's decisions in the boardroom have on the people that they are supposed to be helping. But instead, I feel like U.S. soccer is kicking people to the curb. And I don't think, I don't, I don't think Rocco is going to have a problem with me saying this, but that pisses me off. Rocco was super generous with his time, and after we stopped recording, we spent a decent chunk of time actually talking about some other non-soccer-related things. And he told me about a fundraiser that he attended the night before, and he was super eager to tell me that he sat at the table with his Croatian brother-in-law. And you're actually going to hear him reference Croatia quite a few times during this interview because he's super fascinated with 
that little country's ability to create so many high-level players with just 4 million people. It's a country that's smaller than some of the boroughs of New York. And Rocco and the Cosmos fans and, and a lot of us are familiar with with uh, with that. So it's it's a crazy, crazy thing that a country just 4 million people can be producing such high-level players, but our country of 330 million, uh, something's, something's wrong here. Yep. We'll, we'll get into that. Don't worry. Uh, and then during this interview, we also talk, um, uh, we talk, we talk about a lot of stuff and, and the best way to describe it is that it's kind of a no holds barred conversation. Rocco doesn't hold back. And <laughs> there were, there were times that I felt like I was kind of talking over him or he was, he was talking over me and, and I was struggling to get my two cents in, but he had warned me before we started recording that he likes to talk. And there were moments where I kind of felt like a New Yorker in a way. Like I, I've only been in New York once, just the time that I went to the courthouse. But, uh, <laughs> but from listening to like guys like Gary Vaynerchuk and his his podcast, and he's always talking over people, and it just kind of seems like that's the way they do things. But like I said, Rocco had warned me that he he likes to talk, and that was 100% fine with me because I like to listen, and I'm sure that you're going to enjoy listening to this as well. And before we get into the episode today, I just want to give you guys a quick reminder that this episode and all of our episodes at the 343 Podcast are brought to you by 343coaching.com and specifically the coaching programs that we offer there. So the free seven-week coaching course gives you the foundation to the possession-based knowledge or possession-based methodology that 343 is known for. And when you're ready, you can also sign up for the premium course that takes a way deeper dive into the process uh, using videos of real coaches, real players, real teams, exclusive audio interviews, ebooks, and so much more. You can find all of that at 343coaching.com. That's the numbers 3, 4, and 3. Coaching, all spelled out, dot com. All right. Let's get into today's episode with Rocco Camiso. Rocco, let's uh, let's get into this, man. We have a lot to talk about. Um, we, we just spent uh, a good chunk of time catching up off the air. This is our first time we've actually had a, a conversation. I met you briefly in New York at the Brooklyn uh, at the Brooklyn courthouse when it was NASL versus USSF. In uh, actually, it was on Halloween, and uh, that was the first time I got a chance to meet you. And it's funny, I, t- I told you, I promised you I was going to tell you a little bit of a story about when we first met. So when, when I walked into the courtroom, I, I had no idea where I was. It was my first time in New York, first time in Brooklyn. Uh, I was completely lost. To be honest, I was a little bit hungover as well. <laughs> and, and, uh, and so I walk in the courtroom, and, and I'm immediately greeted by Rishi. And I would see this guy walking up to me. He's wearing a nice suit. I'm in jeans and, and Nikes. I'm completely out of place. And Rishi walks up and shakes my hand, and, and he kind of pulls me in closer, and he's like, are, are you John? I was like, yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm John. And he's like, love your Twitter, man. Love your Twitter. Come sit with us. And he, he hold kind of like guides me and, and, and sits me down right behind you, actually. So you were sitting front row, and I was sitting directly behind you and, and Eric Stover and Rishi and some of the other guys. And then afterwards, I kind of stuck around in the hallway, or after the court was the court 
hearing was over, I stuck around in the hallway and I got a chance to shake your hand too. And, and, and I introduced myself and I don't know why I said it, but I, but I said like, Hey, I'm, I'm John Pronich. I'm that Croatian guy on Twitter. And you did the same thing that Rishi did. You kind of squeezed my hand a little bit tighter and pulled me in. He's at, and, and you're like, I, I love your Twitter, man. Love your Twitter. <laughs> and I, I, it just, it made me smile and it, it kind of made me, it made me realize that the work that people are doing on social media and things like that, it actually, it actually does matter and makes an impact. So I wanted to say thank you for, for that as well. And, and just what you're doing. Well, uh, John, I want to thank you, frankly, also for how persistent you've been in supporting, you know, the right cause, which is to do a better job here with soccer in America. Uh, your dad, you told me, comes from Croatia. So we're cousins with your dad, <laughs> right? I come from southern Italy, comes from Croatia. Uh, Croatia, for those people that don't know, are maybe a very small country, but it's a powerhouse in the soccer world. I think you have produced some of the best players that we have known um, to you know in the last 20, 30 years. Rakitic, Modric, Mandzukic, uh, Boban. Do I say it right? All these funny names. I don't even know how to say the English names. Uh, Shuker, right? Did I say that right? You got it right. It's a it's an incredible uh, accomplishment for nation. Uh, used to be part of Yugoslavia, and Yugoslavia as a nation had a huge soccer tradition. Uh, but as a nation, uh, frankly, I think you played your first World Cup in 1998 for a nation of 4.2 million. Well, I wasn't going to say that, um, <laughs> you know, but now that you said it, I'm going to say you have done better than USA of America. And we've been involved in FIFA since 1913. So let's start there, right? Uh, as to why. We're having all these problems here. Um, and the reason why we're having all these problems is somebody out there <laughs> is pointing things that out, meaning me, and I've done it for a while now, that, that uh, the powers of the U.S. soccer landscape don't want to hear, don't want the American people to know about this, which is amazing. Just amazing how you know, all the bad things I've kept under the, the, you know, the rug, you know, so that people don't change the story. The story that they want to give you is that we've been a very successful soccer nation, that we have done wonderful things, that we have grown the sport of soccer. Look at all these kids are playing. Uh, uh, look at all these teams that now joined uh, uh, the MLS. Look at all these teams that uh, belong in the amateurs, uh, the semi-pro and so on. And in large part, I agree with that. You know, it's... but. The point is not the numbers. The point is the success rate. And we should ought to be ashamed as a nation that in the last uh, 85 years, we have won a grand total of six games in World Cup competition. I think you guys won in, in, in just two World Cups, three World <laughs> Cups, right? That's true. And, and there's a nation of 330 million people. And Croatia only has 4.2 million people. In fact, Croatia is smaller than the combined bars of Queens and Brooklyn, where the Cosmos compete. So you have been able to produce all these phenomenal um, athletes, soccer athletes, and to be very successful in the, in the European front and on the World Cup front. And yet, you know, we're debating still as to when 
the U.S. is not going to win or compete or do well in a World Cup. Yeah, it's always the next 20 years, 20 years. And as I told people, I've been hearing this message for 50 years now, and uh, my time is running out. I'm 60 years old, so I want to see it sooner rather than later. Yeah. And, well, uh, hey, Rocco, and, that's the, and that's the reason why we're talking. One of the, one of the more interesting things about uh, Croatia and, and the, the strength and the early strength that they, that they had that a lot of people don't know is they started a league that you, you can kind of compare to MLS where – it was kind of a closed league just to get the league going. It was kind of like kindling where, where j- just enough to start the fire. And it was always meant to be temporary. It was never meant to be a 20, 30, 40, 40 year project like MLS has kind of been. So people want to go back to like 1994, 1996 and say, oh my God, these guys saved soccer and blah, 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 blah. It's like, no, they, they schemed up a plan to monopolize soccer it almost seems like for the next you know few decades where in Croatia it was a lot different it was the the start of their of their domestic league after they became an independent country was really just to 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 kickstart the league and then it opened up and now they have promotion relegation they're they're selling wow. players to some so of the, the biggest teams and, designs, so you're saying uh, let's put that in perspective, John. A small country the size, smaller than the size of the borough Queens in Brooklyn in New York, where the Cosmos compete, you know, has, not only does it have promotion and relegation, but it also has, you know, uh, I would say five professional teams, 20 professional, give me a number. What's your best guess between Division One, Division Two, as to how many teams they have in the country of Croatia? How many teams are in Croatia? No, professional teams. Oh, there's uh, probably hundreds. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, and here we go around. That's fine. But it's more than two, right? Oh, yeah. yeah or yeah, three. Yeah. yeah, okay. So, and again, and here we're going around and says that, a, you know, a place like New York City, a place like New York City with 20 million people in the New York City metropolitan area, which would be five times the size of Croatia, could not have more than two professional teams. So now that answers for the public that may be listening to broadcast all the problems that exist in American soccer. Uh, how could you make that statement? How, who, whose purpose does it serve and who's controlling that decision? And it, goes, and it all goes with the U.S. Soccer Federation, and a control that MLS has with the U.S. Soccer Federation and the linkage that they both have with this entity called SOM, where the national team of the USSF, that's all ours, the national team of America should be owned by every single person, the little girls, the little boys, you know, the grown-ups, every member of the soccer community in America. It should not, those rights should not be given away to the preferred league, which is the MLS, so the MLS owners uh, in a closed system, you know, enjoy the benefits of the successes and the money that's made out of the national teams. Rocco, it's it's funny. I, I was just writing down a little note to to remember too. But you can you can hear your passion because I can hear you pounding on your desk as you're talking about this. You're 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 genuinely you're genuinely passionate about the sport of soccer, and you always have been. And I don't think people realize that people are thinking like, Oh, who's this Rocco guy that just, you know, just burst onto the scene and, and, and bought the cosmos. I, I don't think people understand. Uh, you've been involved in this game for a long, long time. And actually you've been kept on the sideline for, for quite a while too. 
And <laughs> so let me give you, John, let me give you, it's funny, right? That certain people that were not even born when I started playing soccer, right? And made those stupid statements. So I came to this country at the age of 12, played soccer the way your father probably played on concrete or on the beaches of southern Italy, Calabria, right? During the summertime. And uh, with balls made out of rags. You know, we didn't have the mind to go and buy a real ball. We didn't even know what a ball was, right? And uh, so I came to this country, you know, at the age of 12, got to high school. They did not have a soccer team. And little by little, I managed to get myself a big scholarship, you know, to Columbia under the belief that this guy, Rocco, knew something about soccer, played soccer, right? Well, guess what? I joined Columbia in 1960, this full season of 1967, so it's my 50-year anniversary. We had an undefeated team, and by my senior, I was all Ivy for three years. By my senior year, uh, I was co-captain of the team, uh, and we uh, produced the only team, uh, the first team, Columbia's history, uh, to ever make it to the NCAA playoffs. Um, and then later on, you know, I, got, I also got invited to try out for the 1972 Olympics, but frankly, I wasn't good enough. So that's, that's the reason why I went from being a soccer player to becoming uh, a businessman. And in many, in many ways, thank you. Uh, so I graduated from Columbia in 71, and um, in 78, uh, the Columbia program, uh, we founded uh, this Friends of Columbia Soccer organization made up of alumni in support of the Columbia Soccer program. And in 78, I was made chairman of that program. And I want you to know, John, that for the next eight years, Columbia University produced eight straight Ivy League championships. We had a Herman Award winner. We were in the final two engaged in Yana in 1983. We were in the final four and lost to Clemson in 1979. We had all kinds of phenomenally, uh, all Americans, all Ivy, all regions, all everything. Right? Phenomenal program, which today still recognizes probably the best program in the Ivy League historically in the last 40 years. And certainly the most you know, the most uh, successful program at Columbia University among the major sports. And when I say major sports, I'm talking about basketball, football, uh, and baseball, and uh, softball, and, and, and field hockey, and so on with the women. Uh, so I'm very proud to have come to that program and having contributed to it. Unfortunately, uh, I, in 1980, I went to live in a place called New Rochelle, in the suburbs of New York City in Westchester County. And uh, after having been given, and I want to give back as I'm giving back right now, you know, let's give back, coach little kids. My kids were not, one, one of my kids was not even born. My daughter was only one year old. So I didn't do it for my kids like most fathers do it in soccer in America. I did it basically to give back, you know, what I've learned from soccer to, to the younger generation. And they gave me a team, an under-16 team, undefeated. They gave me another team, undefeated. Finally, I got to graduate myself to get to the under-12 team, the 1969 under-12. I'll never forget it. Uh, but this guy who was in charge of the administration in our town uh, determined that he will never give up the A-team uh, that he coached 
so they gave me a B team. Uh, and the B team represented all, all, all of the scouted kids, the kids that were not that good, that were not playing well, and were not being viewed as superstars. And the A team naturally had all the superstars because the guy in charge of the league in the town of New Rochelle uh, happened also to be the coach of the, of, of the A team. Well, it so happened that one day the B team that I coach plays the A team and we beat them. And then all, all hell erupted the way it's <laughs> erupting right now, you know, when Rocco entered the NSL. Uh, the guy uh, eventually got me, found a way uh, administratively because he had all kinds of powers with the uh, Westchester County uh, soccer organization uh, to make sure I, ne- I don't coach again in the town of New Rochelle. The person I made that decision, um, you know, and became my enemy, you know, was it none other than Chuck Blazer. You ever heard of Chuck Blazer? I have, I have, and I'm sure a lot of listeners have as well. Uh, and this is this is going to be a, a story I I I don't know. I I didn't know anything about this actually. So I'm I'm super excited to hear you keep going. So this is 1983. So I get fired literally by a guy named Chuck Blazer, and wow. and and law. A large part of it is that we had an argument. I call them all kinds of names, including the word, using the word crook, that you're a crook. And I said it 10,000 times, Rob, that you're a crook. I don't want to have anything to do with you. You know, I'll fight you and whatever. But, you know, he was a crook then, and he, and he died a crook, frankly, right? Because, you know, the rest is history. He became friendly with this guy, Sunil Galati, right? Sunil Galati was in Connecticut. Um, Glazer was in Westchester. And they retain a relationship for the next 30, 40 years, you know, since the, the mid-80s. And the rest is history because they each help each other out to get to where they got to. Uh, with one difference, Glazer uh, has passed away. You know, he wore a mic uh, for three or four years to implicate other people in FIFA, but Sonoma's still around, okay? Until very recently, he has been the guy in charge of the SSF uh, Federation. He's claims that he's not going to run again, um, and uh, which is okay, but we're in the position that we're in largely because of the USSF not having done the right thing by my league from the day uh, that I entered uh, in owning the Cosmos in 2017. My mission, John, and it's been written, and you've read it, I'm sure, to get involved with the Cosmos. One was to save the Cosmos, but finally give back something to the game of soccer that, that has given so much back to me. Uh, it wasn't for the scholarships that I received at Columbia. I don't know what I would be to, to that. So I'm not here to make money or needing to make money, frankly, but largely to give something back that so that in my tenure going forward in soccer, I, at some day, you know, I would love to be able to say to myself, Rocco, you're the person, you know, that changed uh, or had a, some kind of impact in changing uh, the trajectory of professional soccer in this country, you know, and all for the, all for the benefit of the, of the next generation. The young kids that, uh, you know, they're going to grow up to want to play professionally, and also for a guy like Pulisic, I think it's Croatian too, right? His yeah. parents or his grandparents are Croatians. Yeah, who's not going to have the opportunity to play in the 2018 World Cup. Maybe he'll play in 2022, assuming he never has injuries and so on. So as a young star, phenomenal kid, that's not going to have the opportunity to play 
in a World Cup until at least 2022. Man, that that story about Chuck Blazer that that kind of puts a lot of things into perspective and and how long these guys have been involved in making decisions and keeping people out. The, one of the notes that I wrote down is that like you're you're kind of like, like B team experience in soccer started well 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 before your your time with cosmos and, and it's and i say b team experience yeah, the, and the cosmos john you're right and the cosmos is the same situation in my exactly. 1969 b team and new rochelle you know keep us down screw you you know we may, we're gonna relegate you to a nothing you know we don't want your competition we don't want any of your types you know to come over here and tell us what to do even though they all know that i know more about soccer than all them put together Okay, or that I have a bag. They know it administratively. They know because uh, they go to these meetings, FIFA meetings or whatever, but they surely can't claim that they know soccer because they played soccer for a long period of time. Yeah, it's it's, it's interesting because you kind of have like, you have this big business background in, in, in finance or in the financial industry and, and then in with Mediacom, so owning a cable company, and that's landed you in a, in a, in a pretty decent spots on the Forbes 400 list, but you also have like this huge background in soccer that really nobody knows about. And you're, you're like one of the only guys on that list that has that huge background in soccer. And it's, it's kind of in a way, Rocco, it, it's kind of, it, it's, I don't know the right way to say this. I don't want to say discouraging, but it's like, how can a guy like you that, that has all of these resources be locked out of helping soccer in, in this country? It's like, why, why did they do that to you? That, that's where my brain goes. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, to put it bluntly, I'm a threat, right? Uh, all, all this thing that's happening, uh, we're wanting to put the cosmos out of business. First is the brand. Everybody knows all over the planet, that when you talk about American soccer, it, the cosmos represents uh, a name that nobody else has. And they could never take it away that from us. You know, I was watching the FIFA, uh, what do you call it? the FIFA, oh, what, what, what did they do on December 1st? The FIFA... Uh, oh, the World Cup draw? Whatever, right? Yeah. And the play was there. Yep. Uh, and everybody surrounded the play. I know that Gulati was also there. They don't surround Gulati, but everybody surrounded the play, started kissing him, men and women, right? He's the hero of the heroes. Uh, the, you know, the number one player, him and Maradona, a few others, that's ever played the game of soccer and play, play with us, with the Cosmos, along with Beckenbauer from Germany, yeah. along with Canadia from Italy, along with uh, all the Dutch players, Carlos Alberto. Uh, you know, they cannot take that away. And they want to absolutely extinguish that history from American soccer. They want to burn they the books, man. They want to make believe, yeah, they want to make believe, you know, that soccer really started with them in 1998, you know, with the MLS. As if nothing occurred in this country. We joined FIFA, John, in 1914, I think, 13 or 14. We had professional soccer in this country 100 years ago. We have multiple leagues in this country. Now, my feeling is that part of the reason why I didn't succeed, it was ethnic, and ethnic and immigrants were always looked down in America. And two, the other, the other sports uh, kept us down, including, you know, beginning during the time that I was involved in the 70s. Yeah, it was pretty clear to me that, that the football powers 
especially had no interest. They wanted to see soccer succeed in this country. So we had to go through that. But soccer existed. Soccer existed in college. I mean, Columbia University played soccer games in the early 1900s, 1902, 1903, 1904. Rutgers and, 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 uh, and Harvard and Columbia had games in the late 1800s. So we had phenomenal ethnic um, teams in the New York metropolitan area. I played uh, for a while for the American Czechoslovak team in the German American League. I played for the Brooklyn, not the, the Bronx Italians, the Fordham Italians, the Mount Vernon uh, team. <laughs> so soccer has been with us for a long time, just that for one reason or another, we never made it as successful as it should have been by now. So the question is, John, should it take us another 30 years? To get to where you know it's it's incredible. It's always twenty years down the road, right? <laughs> Just like promotion relegation. Eh, promo- twenty, thirty years down the road, we'll worry about promotion relegation. Hey, but uh, recently, really Rocco, Rocco, recently yeah. they, they've actually changed from that too because Don Garber, maybe I don't know, within the last decade, has said, "Oh yeah, like eventually we'll entertain the idea of promotion relegation." And just recently, he made a comment saying, "No, it'll never happen. It's like it's it's impossible. The logistics just it it would it would be a nightmare. Something along." those lines so they're not even saying in the future anymore they've actually kind of shut the door on it well that's what they're saying publicly what they're doing behind you know is not clear but let me just say john that that's essentially their fears with me and the cosmos yeah they know that i'm a local guy they're not they know i have a huge uh, soccer background you know i'm involved with the soccer program at columbia for for uh, you know, I think I this year is my uh, 50 year anniversary. I mean, I'm an old man, right? Uh, so 50 years of involvement with with uh, Columbia University soccer. 50 years. Um, it's not by chance that they named the stadium after me there, the soccer stadium at Columbia, where the women and the men play in the same stadium. Um, and uh, and now I I think they know that. Again, that I have the resources that I know. I'm in the media, television business. You know, I mean, yeah, it's true that uh, those guys at MLS and USSF may know how to deal uh, with ESPN uh, and uh, and Fox and and Family, right, and Univision. Uh, but at the end of the day, I, I think the whole rights in the U.S. is for the national teams and. You know, Concacaf and the Spanish, the the, you know, the the team from Mexico, the national team playing in the U.S. and so on, and MLS. I think the rights fees are ninety million dollars. Well, my company pays five hundred forty million dollars a year. So, if you want to put it in perspective, so I think just in the last ten years, I negotiated over five billion dollars of deals that I pay. You know, my company pays that I own one hundred percent of my company you know, to all these entities called Fox, NBC, CBS, and so on. So they're extremely aware of the fact, you know, that I have media contacts, that I have a name, very well known in the financial community. Uh, just in the last, uh, my entire career, I think in the last 20, 30 years, I did $25 billion of financing, always successfully, by the way. Uh, and they said, who, you know, we got to find a way of, of getting rid of this guy one way or another. And they frankly, and they frankly did it. You know, with the destruction, destructive decision of September 1, when they would, would they gave, never gave us a heads up that as I entered the room on September 1st, they were going to sanction us. 
Did you know that going in? Zero. Absolutely zero. Anybody that tells you any different is a liar. Okay? In fact, they never produced a document in the court papers that says we told we told the U.S. We told NSL that unless they get their act together, we're going to be sanctioned on, on September 1st. Never. So now, uh, what we did here, and we'll get into that, is they were told by one of our, uh, the owners, that it was in our league, a guy named Steve Malik, then on North Carolina. Uh, and they're lawyers. You were there. You heard the same thing. And I want everybody to let, let me get it for, for a second. <laughs> uh, I think it's page. Uh, no, no, this is very important in my opinion. All right, uh, it's page 54 of the court proceedings uh, in court that you appeared on October 31st. Uh, and on page uh, 54, it says we know we know that they did not have have eight teams because the North Carolina team had already indicated it was leaving. So this is the lawyers for the USSF making a statement in court under oath. Right. That um, says we knew that North Carolina was not going to be around. Right. So when they made the decision, they already knew that North Carolina was leaving. We did not know it as a, you know, at the NSL. And that's why I've had so much anger after that day. All right. Uh, because I didn't really go out, you know, and publicly make, say anything bad about anybody, um, you know, before September 1st. I said things related to the state of U.S. soccer. Uh, yes, I did. I, you know, but nobody's going to shut me down. Um, yeah, but I didn't go out and, and lambast and criticize any individual, in, in, you know, in the USSF or MLS as it relates to how I was treated until, you know, September 1st. So to know that one of my owners who was appointed to the pro council and is a member of the USSF, uh, you know, worked behind our back, you know, and communicated with Sinor Galati and Garber. Uh, you know, it leads into the conspiracy theory that, uh, that, that the whole loser is about. You know, somebody was working to make sure uh, that the NSL gets put out of business. And all of that will be put in court, whether we win the, the next phase of the injunction or not. You know, I mean, this lawsuit, John, will continue. Uh, it will never stop, never stop, as long mm -hmm. as I'm alive. Okay, I said it publicly, I said it on television, I said it, right? Uh, in case anybody wants to hear me again, I'll say it again, it will never stop, okay? So everyone should be aware that, uh, you know, that unlike my days with Chuck Blazer, uh, I do have the resources today to fight the system or anybody that wants to destroy American soccer. Rocco, one of the more interesting things about like that whole situation and, and some of the stuff that actually came up in court was, uh, let, me, let me start with this. So part of the argument against NESL is that NESL has kind of been unstable and it kind of has an unstable history. But NESL is really the only league that is, is kind of getting um, cherry-picked. And so teams are, are being approached from uh, people in the USL and, and MLS and, and teams are being moved from NESL into different leagues and and it's not uh, to my knowledge I don't I don't know of NASL teams that are going and having trying to have discussions with major league soccer teams and trying to bring over like major league soccer teams into the NASL and and you got guys like Steve Malik who are are having those negotiations to leave the NASL 
and and those conversations are being initiated i have to assume by people that are you know in major league soccer and and in and in, in part of uh the united states soccer federation and and that kind of seems like a like an unfair tactic like they're they're going to use that against you guys saying that NASL is unstable, but really all they're doing is they're letting teams or they're, they're picking teams or cherry picking teams from your league. Right. So let me, without going into a lot of details, which I can't because of a lawsuit, right? Of course. Uh, a lot of, of some of the issues that we're facing is directly related to who wasn't involved with the NSL before me. Okay. Uh, specifically related to the exit fees, the entrance fees to the USL and so on. I was not involved with that, okay? And that's been a huge issue uh, for us in making sure that uh, people don't leave us without a huge penalty, if you follow me, okay? Right. And I'll leave it at that. Two, um, uh, our great United States Soccer Federation uh, has allowed uh, to have a USL that we all know it's linked with MLS, the MLS. B teams play there and so on and so on. They have players arrangements. They uh, they share they share marketing, uh, um, uh, whatever. Uh, and uh, yeah, but the most important aspect of the USL it's, it's just yeah it's it's a franchise system owned by one individual, and it's unheard of in any other country. You come from Croatia, I guarantee you, that you don't have a franchise system where one guy owns all the clubs essentially or the franchises to the club. It's similar to the single entity system that MLS has, right? Uh, but at least in the MLS, if Don Garber doesn't do the right thing, you know, two, with a two thirds, whatever majority, they could kick him out. Here, even if uh, Alec Pavadak is, uh, you know, uh, brings in some crooks to work with him, I'm not suggesting at all that Alec uh, is a crook, is a great guy, in fact, in, in my opinion. Uh, but even if he wants to do something stupid, yeah, that, then the, the owners of those teams have to have to live with that. that. That's number one. Number two, which is a huge issue, frankly, is that they have non-competes. Uh, similar to what the MLS says with their teams, right? So you join the USL, and then it's very hard to get the hell out of the USL because they put a hold on you, you can't compete for two years, they own the intellectual property rights, the shirt rights, the name, and so on and so on. So it's very hard, and that's the reason why you haven't seen the exodus of teams from the USL to any other league, including the NSL. Three, um, we have been told, and I know this for, you know, good, good sources, uh, that teams have been encouraged to go to the USL if they ever want to make it to the MLS. That's the reason why Tampa left. Uh, that's the reason why Nashville's there. That's the reason why uh, Cincinnati's there, Sacramento, San Antonio left us because of that, okay, in part, from what I understand. I wasn't there again, but this is what I've heard. So they've been encouraged to leave the, this is the, and, and the USSF has condoned this, okay? They've been encouraged to leave the NSL if you ever want to get to the MLS, and if you look at everyone, yeah, including my friend, uh, your friend, John, I think he's your friend, right? Steve Malik, right? <laughs> he says, maybe, maybe, maybe I should listen to Don Garber, you know, and move my team to the, to the USL as an easier avenue to get to the MLS, all right? I don't know what transpired between those two, 
but I'm willing to put anything, any, to bet anything that something along those lines was discussed. That if you ever want to get to the MLS, you know, you better get to the USL. So hey, we hey, have Rocco, our, Ro- yeah, go ahead. Rocco, real, real quick, I want to, I want to talk about too, uh, and maybe, I, maybe you can elaborate on this a little bit more, but it kind of seems like USL teams are also popping up in markets where MLS is kind of wanting to test the waters. And so maybe, maybe USL teams are, are popping up in, in areas that MLS teams aren't, but where they, where they want to be. So it's almost like a, like a test run or like a, like a bike with training wheels. Is, is, well, is there any truth to that, I, you think? No, 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 I don't think so because the only thing I've heard is in Chicago, uh, unless you know something more than I do. Uh, I, so I think – go, go ahead. No, you go ahead. <laughs> so, so far, we haven't found a market where there's an independent USL team that competes in the same market as the MLS. Yeah, I think that's what I was going for. It's like so USL teams are, are being kind of deployed in, in new markets where there is no MLS team. Exactly. Yeah, okay. I'm sorry. I did, I did not understand your question, John. Yeah. No, I, I, think, there's, I, I think there's a deal there. You know, that if you want to, that yourself, you want to have this partnership with us, make sure you don't get one of your teams to come and compete with any of our teams. All right? So you don't see MLS teams. Uh, you don't see USL teams in Dallas, in Houston, um, in uh, San Jose, in Chicago, in Kansas City. You, you, you follow me? What they have in those markets, if anything, is B teams. Uh, so somebody out there is deciding how the market should be, if you follow, which is pretty anti-competitive, right? And look, at the end of the day, uh, you know, a lawsuit states that there's a conspiracy out there to make sure that certain leagues get taken care of a certain other leagues, all right? So, but that's an interesting phenomenon, right? That they would agree to. I did not know this six months ago, you know. I did not put one and two and three together to find out what the hell is going on. Why, why is the USL so successful in retaining teams as opposed to us? And what, you know, their success comes with uh, the fact that you got to be crazy. Uh, first of all, even if they did not have the non-compete agreement, you ought to be crazy to aspire to get to the MLS and then leave the USL. You know, you will never get the, ML- the opportunity to get to the MLS. So it's a, it's a rigged system, poorly knowledge too, I mean, supportive uh, and in the know by the USSR, by Sunil Galati. And he has permitted that to take place. Um, while, the, uh, on the other hand, doing everything he could up to now to destroy our league. Rocco, I want to I wanna get your thoughts on Soccer United Marketing, or some. I think people are more familiar with it being, being the acronym, so some. What? What what are your thoughts on those guys? And we can I, I can kind of pick you apart with questions once you once you get going too. Right. So some is a marketing entity that markets uh, uh, the soccer interest of MLS together with the soccer in the USSF. So the USSF has rights to its own national teams, women and men, old and young. Uh, and, uh, and then on the MLS side, you have, uh, the MLS teams. So they're tied together, uh, in making sure that that entity succeeds because the more they make, the better it is for both of them. You got that, which is part of the 
the reason for the lawsuit. Our position, uh, by the way, some is worth a lot of money uh, based on our understanding, and some of it is public. I mean, very recently, I think it was in May, uh, a private equity shop called Pro Providence Equity was taken out at a valuation of close to $2 billion. We think it's worth more, but let's say it's $2 billion. I don't know the answer to this question. Um, I know there's uh, money that flows back and forth uh, from some to the USSF because there's, yeah, they make money, right? There's revenue. So I think for some uh, revenue base last year uh, was over $248 million. Some big number, huge number, right? $250 million. Question is, of that 248, how much is USSF? Um, how much is related to the MLS? To the extent that a large part of that, or some part of that, is related to what the USSF brings to the table, then the next question is, is the USSF getting a prop, prop, appropriate value for what they bring into the table? I do not know the answer to that. Now, actually, that's all going to be determined, found out during the discovery phase of our lawsuit. It's pretty critical information. Uh, I would hope that a lot of that comes out in the trial. I mean, in the, you know, with the upcoming presidential election. Uh, because whether it's zero, whether it's a dollar, whether it's 10% or 50%, it's not as important as everyone realizing is that the USSF is not an independent regulatory body agency, like it would be, um, uh, John, I think you told me you're in the liquor business, you're a distributor or whatever, like it would be uh, whoever regulating your business or my business, right? Mm -hmm. You do not have side deals um, uh, with any of anyone if you're a regulatory agency, period, end of story. We, I don't have it in my business. I'm regulated by the Federal Communications Division, our commission in Washington. But since we're a public father of our debt financings, are we also regulated by the SEC, the Security and Exchange Commission. Neither of those two agencies in regulating me are allowed to have a business relationship with one of my competitors. Period. End of story. That doesn't exist anyplace. Nowhere. Yeah. Nowhere. The example, Rocco, the example I give my friends when I'm trying to explain this to them, because not a lot of my friends understand like the whole promotion relegation and, and solidarity payment, all the stuff that, that soccer fans are really passionate about. So when I try to explain this specific aspect to them, I, I tell them like, okay, so I own this bar and right next door to me is another bar, but I regulate what the, what the, my neighbor, my next door neighbor can and cannot do. And Right. And then and then I regulate myself as well. So I give myself freedom to do kind of whatever I want. But then I tell my neighbor, no, you can't do that. So it's unfair business. <laughs> so in the world that I grew up in, in the Bronx, we call these rackets. Now, I've yeah. learned a lot of rackets um, growing up in the Bronx. You know, you deal with good, bad, and the ugly there, right? And as you grow up, you know, there's the small rackets, there's the middle rackets, and there's the big rackets. Well, not until I got involved in the thing USSF, our relationship with, with, uh, uh, with MLS, did I recognize that there's even bigger rackets than what I learned in the Bronx. I mean, this is a huge, huge racket, uh, which will be okay if the only ones affected by this business is the USSF 
and MLS. Then it would be okay if they're the only parties in town. But what about the, what about the NLSL? What about our league? What about all the other leagues? Uh, the, the objective and purpose of USSF is to care of all the interests in soccer, not just the MLS. So that's the fundamental issue that exists in America in having a guy that continuously, I mean, they said it publicly, the two of them, right? They talk to each other more often than they talk to their wives. So we got USSF dealing with MLS pretty regularly. I guarantee you they talk at least each, with each other once or twice a week, if not daily, okay? And, and they're regulating me. Out of it, uh, they're regulating me so that I'm out of business. That's the whole essence of our lawsuit. We're not asking for the world. We're just asking to be able to play and go out and lose another $50 million as we have done the last 12 months with no help whatsoever from the USSF. I mean, how could you turn that deal down? There's a bunch of jerks, right, owners. They're willing to go out and lose $50 million just for, to have the right to play. And you were even taking that right away? You know, people that can't lose money? We didn't ask for any money, <laughs> right? And you want to take that right away? So, look, uh, at some point in time, it's going to come, yeah, we're going to go through the lawsuit phase, the depositions, the emails. Um, yeah, I hope, uh, for God's sake, that nobody destroys emails during, you know, of the last five or ten years, because that's, that's what, put, what could put you in jail, Right. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's going to be a long uh, case. I don't know if it's going to be resolved in a year or two years, but the, the lawsuit will continue uh, because I have the resources to continue to get to the bottom of this thing. So once and for good, we have fixed up American soccer. You, now, there's other avenues they could deal with, you know, they, they, you know if they want to become good um, or better in dealing with us, they could come and talk to us. You, you, you follow me? And then we probably... Uh, you know, we could do something that's better for, for all of us. But if they continue along this path, there's not going to be a good solution for anybody. Um, and I stated to them in an email, uh, they were sent to them, okay, way before, uh, you know, between the period of September 1st and September, I don't know, 19th, when we filed our lawsuit. I said, look, this is your last chance to rescind your decision, change what you have done, because it makes no sense, it leaves me no other option. So I said it to them, I sent emails to them, and they know that, right? That I gave them plenty of chances to go out and do something different. Something along the lines, John, that they've done with USL. Now let me get into that, right? So USL, so we get this letter from them uh, where, uh, first we get notified, right? September 1st, we go to the Costa Rica, uh, USA game, we get notified, we don't get uh, with the sanction, and it's a non-appealable decision. Nothing we could do going forward to appeal their decision to anyone as to whether, nothing. There's no way to rectify that problem. There's nothing we could do. How now, can you do that, though? Uh, Rocco, how can, you, how, how can they make a decision that's non-appealable? That seems completely absurd. What? You know, the letter has been filed with the courts, and you can read it yourself, okay, that they gave us. Um, in the same letter, um, you know, they, uh, they, they had a paragraph that says, that, by the way, since you asked about the USL status, we could tell you that the USL has been deferred for another 
30 days, and that decision on the USL will be made on October 2nd. Have they made that, that decision so yet? Ah, so not only did they say twice, we need 30 days to make another decision with respect to USL, but based on everything that I know, in no uncertain terms, there's no one that's come to me and says, Rocco, they met and made a decision. That decision has not formally been made by the board. It may be made on uh, the board meeting that they have now, right after the MLS final game in Toronto on Sunday. Uh, what is the date on Sunday, John? Help me out. I think uh, it's December the 10th. 10th, yeah, December 10th, 2017. Okay, so let's figure it out. Uh, there's 30 days in September, 31 days in October, 30 days, uh, whatever the hell it is. I, I think it comes down to 100 days. So they gave they gave the USL a hundred days and they you know and they killed me on the first day without giving me the ability to go and get more teams. So the truth of the matter is that we already got all kinds of teams that want to join us. Right? We're not announcing the names, although they have appeared on the internet. Right? And they know that because they've seen it in our filings. And uh, uh and their lawyers have read them and they know everything. Okay. And to this day, you know, they haven't come back and said, Rocco, uh, we hear you. We want to resolve this issue. Sunil's not uh, running anymore. Maybe there's a different team of people that we could put together in the case to negotiate with you guys to see if we could, you know, bring closure to this unfortunate history uh, of U.S. soccer. Let me tell you what will happen, you know, for sure. You know, I said it publicly, you know, it's a very good chance that if we don't get the law, the, the appeal uh, in the appellate court, that if we don't win that, then unfortunately the, the, the league will not exist and the Cosmos will not play. Um, I want to talk about, you know, how it affects my players. But that's, you know, that's what the decision that they're making at the end of the day, the indirect decision that they have made for once, for in the history of U.S. soccer, probably worldwide soccer, that a league, that a, a federation has made the decision to put an entire league out of business. That would be in the history books forever, right? And that's that's the legacy that Sunil leaves behind. Yeah, I think that's Besides, important. You, you mentioned that in, in another in another interview that that there's the lasting legacy is going to be these last few things actually that the world have happened cup, right? the world cup the right. the the court cases the corruption or the 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 alleged corruption and and things like that 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 really is going to be a, the legacy that these guys leave behind and that's kind of a bummer that they want to leave on that note like they don't want to write the ship before they go they'd rather go down with it yeah and that's that's really unfortunate because that's not the way you know you settle deals right um, but, but John, I mean, they, they really, you know, what do I have to lose at this stage of my life? You know, I, I don't have anything to be fearful of. My reputation has been set in stone by now, right? Uh, I run a pretty clean sheet ship. You know, you should know that I fell regularly with the financial authorities in this country. I never asked to do anything, you know, that caused any problems for me or my employees. I mean, I've had daddy trees straight year-over-year quarters of revenue growth. Uh, never had a problem raising capital when everybody else did in the financial market. So I have a pretty good reputation out there. Um, and I have the resources. Uh, 
So I don't know what they have, you know, but it's what they have, what their intent is to pull me out of business. They're not going to succeed that easily. They may be put me out of business, but they're going to, they're going to suffer considerably. Okay. What? Either with respect to their reputation, with respect to the money that will be spent, uh, with respect to other things that may come, come out. You know, they can't control, frankly, uh, what I'm going to do. It's not like they're honest, right? So we have this cruel situation or the Sunil Gulati situation. Did you see one owner in America come out for the crew other than me? Did you see any owner in professional soccer, you know, at the MLS level come out for the Sunil resignation except for me? No. Yeah, they're all, uh, they're all good corporate citizens. They're all afraid <laughs> to talk. That's funny. That's All a good right? way to so, put it. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah. So they're not gonna. They're gonna stop. They they can't stop me. You know. I mean, they would have to be put me in a grave to stop me. They can't stop Rock on my age. What are you kidding me? You know <laughs> who are they anyway? So yeah, there's richer people than me. But you think the guy from Abu Dhabi or the guy from Austria is gonna have a bigger saying in the in the city? You know, it's gonna people are gonna listen to them as opposed to the guy from the Bronx. Come on, let's be serious. Yeah. One of the things actually that that's. Uh, it's kind of encouraging is that there's people getting involved that really they, they don't have, for lack of better terms, anything to lose. And, and I, I interviewed Paul LaPointe, this guy that's running for USSF president. He has his his business outside of soccer and he's fine. If he, lo- if he loses the race, he's going to be fine. And so he's able to speak a little bit more of, of his mind during this whole presidential race. He's able to say some things that Akayo Martino can't or that a Sunil Galati can't, or that somebody in MLS can't. And it, and and I'm noticing the same thing with you as well. It's like, you don't depend on these guys to put food on your table. So you don't owe these guys anything <laughs> I at put, all. Hey, listen, I, I put way, way more food on their table than they put on mine. I don't know if you've picked up on what I was saying. All the money that I pay Fox, Univision, exactly. you know, and, 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 and ESPN, Fox that I pay because my customers... So the way it works in my business, my customers get a bill, they pay me the money, I take that money and give it to them. Well, part of that money that I give to ESPN, that I give to Fox and Univision, at the end of the day, it goes to MLS and the USSF. So I, I'm funding their business. You know, I'm financing their livelihoods. I'm paying for their salaries, all right? So, so let, let's put something clear. And by the way, this guy, Paul, is a phenomenal guy. You know, whatever comes out of his mouth sounds great. You know, I just hope, you know, if there's only going to be one president that's going to be elected, I just hope that him, you know, clearly uh, Eric has been a superstar so far. You know, he's the only one uh, that's there to come, you know, in the midst of uh, our lawsuit to come to MCU Park, get on television, you know, give a spiel as to what's right and wrong with the USSF and proceeding with this lawsuit. And, uh, and, and for that, I thank him. Everyone in the cosmos, thank him. I haven't uh, come out with supporting anyone yet. And, uh, but I can tell you what the most important thing is to me. You know, if I were to support anybody, somebody's got to come in and say, look, if we're going to be in charge of this independent agency, of this independent federation, of this federation agency that regulates, that sets standards for competing leads, then we got to make sure we're also independent. So all this stuff that they have, uh, what, what did Garber say or Sunil, right? You know, we're linked at the hip. 
you know, we're like Simon's twins, you know, we walk together, we talk with our wife, we talk to each other more than what, that's got to stop, 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 stop. You don't mistreat MLS, but you also don't mistreat Rocco and the NSL. You treat us fairly. And only at that time that an independent body gets constituted in America that's got no linkage to prof the, the professional teams, the professional leagues, well, we're going to get a better future for American soccer, which is what I aspire to. So the younger generation, unlike me, someday could truly follow some stars that we develop in this country, could follow those stars into the, um, into the Division One, Division Two leagues, and hopefully get to a level that a small town, a small country like Croatia already achieved, and that is to be part of a semifinal or a final match in the World Cup. Something that I would probably never see in my lifetime, you know, but I hope uh, the younger generation will. It's really strange to me how USSF has, has decided to treat its customers and colleagues in in a way if you want to kind of boil it down to that because it's like if you walk into a restaurant and and I'm a, I'm a customer I walk into Rocco's restaurant and Rocco treats me badly I'm just a I'm a customer I'm willing to spend my money with you it's like why why would Rocco's restaurant treat me badly it, it doesn't make any sense that's bad business I'm I'm not going to I'm not going to want to go back to Rocco's restaurant and so when when somebody wants to come in and and work with USSF why would USSF turn around and 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 do bad business with them do, do bad things to them lock people out say mistreat them like you said that it just to me it, it makes no sense could at all could you imagine john john could you imagine a guy like me right that's you know frank i'm a little older you know you're trained in my tradition to respect older people to have respect for older people could you imagine the arrogance the absolute arrogance of these people on September 1st, mating, making me wait six hours to meet with them. It's never happened in my entire life. And I go to Washington, I go to the Senate floor, I go to the House, I go and meet politicians, I meet all kinds of people, right? Business people, non-business people, all kinds of people from all walks of life. Never in a million, never once. Hey, listen, I went for my citizenship papers. You know, you know the way it is. That's your father if, he's a, if he ever went there. You know, that's his, <laughs> his bureaucratic. They didn't make me wait that long, right? I go through the lines when I come from a different country to, they don't make me wait that long, you know, to get through immigration and customs. But at the USSF, you know, the USSF, Rocco, you sit where you are, and you wait for you to be called into the hearing. As if I'm a damn, you know, crook. I'm a criminal. You know, you call me to come there, you know, whenever you guys are read, ready, and you didn't ever have the courtesy to offer me a cup of coffee or a, a piece of bread. I mean, that's, that's unheard. That's the arrogance. That's the arrogance. That's the stuff that somebody, you know, should have taught Sunil never to do that to people. If you and want to succeed in any place. That you don't do to people. You know, you do not do that to anyone. To no one. Little, big, small, large, or whatever. Especially people that you know. And especially when you're getting ready to give them bad news. And it, that's right. Because I forgave him, <laughs> frankly, uh, that day. I said, you know, this can only be because they're going to give us good news, right? How, how the hell could they ever, you know, make us wait six hours? 
Yeah, they're going to make it six hours and then give us the bad news? Wow. It's unheard of, man. It's unheard of. That's I. I just don't get it. It's it, it's like they. It's almost like they didn't. They didn't learn their manners in a way, in in a business sense. Um, but in the business sense, I, you know, I told you the whole league lost fifty million dollars last year. Should, shouldn't they say, look, thank you very much for investing fifty million dollars in American soccer, one of those teams is, is in in New York City. Shouldn't they say thank you? You know, I have one of the board members. Um, that came to my office. Uh, I don't want to mention her name, frankly, and came out of my office because it was a banker of mine, right? Uh, and brought it engaged me, unfortunately. Uh, and we'll find out at the end of the day why. I still haven't found out. And I sent some, uh, yeah, I, I, I made her take, uh, and, I, and she was, you know, when she came to say she was not even part of the USSF. Okay, so I made her take uh, some uh, cosmos shirts for her kids, <laughs> and then she sent me. I, I have, you know, I have the pictures of the kids, her, and so on. I have it in my, in my phone, and um, she never came to the game. But who would have thought a person like that would come to my office? I send a kid picture. You would would never give me the the ability to have my say in court. You know, if you're going to school me, who who, who the hell is she? Yeah. Right. Why? 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 It's at least not respect our kids. And so, you know, we wear the Rocco shirts, the Cosmo shirt. We send them back the pictures with you on the shirt with a big, big thank you and so on. Then we go out and screw Rocco. What? What? How do you deal with your conscience when you do that? For what reason? So at the end of the day, you can go to a World Cup game, you know, where you're sitting in these big chairs, you know, with the rest of the FIFA uh, uh, people. Or that you advance the careers of your children? Well, how good is to advance the careers of your children when to advance your careers of your children, you're screwing other children? I'm talking about all these little kids that are not going to be able to get to watch the Cosmos in Brooklyn. You know, all these minority kids that we bring on. You know, last night, we had a big party for, um, you know, where I was the honoree, and 530 people showed up. Uh, yeah, all, all for the sake of raising money for kids affected with autism. Well, we had this phenomenal kid that sang for us, who was autistic, you know, and he sang for us last night, largely because at a Cosmos game, we made him sing the, you know, God Bless America and the, and the National Anthem at a Cosmos game. And we developed this phenomenal uh, friendship with me and, you know, the, the life works board and so on. That's those are the kids that are going to be affected. Not me. You cannot affect me ever. You know, I could lose a hundred, a billion dollars. I'm still okay. You, you, you follow me? But yeah. you're going to affect the players. You're going to affect their wives. You're going to affect their kids. You're going to affect the fans. All these little kids that show up to the games with their families. We don't charge lots of money for our games. We don't. We're not rip-off agents. You know, we don't do what the what the, what the Giants do. What the yeah. We you, a family of four can come to the you know, could come to a soccer game and get away with less than $100, okay, at a Cosmos game. Yeah, they don't have to spend thousands of dollars to come to the games. And, and, and it's the only professional team in Brooklyn, okay, soccer team. I think there's one basketball team left there. Uh, and, uh, and you're providing an entire bar, you know, 
that finally got a team to play in Corny Island, where business is not that good off season, right? And now business coming back because of the cosmos. And you're providing these local merchants, the community, there, the inability to go out and make a living, right? Uh, and largely because this jerk called Rocco, you know, wants to go out and waste all kinds of money. And you say, Rocco, don't waste the money. We want to save them for you so we can hurt other people. I, 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 tell me where that makes sense in America or any place else in the world. One thing I want to I want to mention too, because I don't know I don't know if I if I told you or maybe Eric might have told you, but after you guys played the the final in San Francisco against the the Deltas, Eric actually invited me to go and get dinner with your guys' team, and the whole office staff was there. You were you, you apparently I, I I don't know if this is true or not, but you apparently flew out everybody and paid for everybody's trip. Obviously, you flew the team out there, paid for dinner for everybody. I was with some Cosmos fans that had flown out, and I asked Eric, like, hey, Eric, can, can I bring these guys with me, too, to dinner? And he said, absolutely. So, like, eight or ten guys went with me, and we all got a chance to hang out with the team. But the, the, more, the, the more important story that I picked up on uh, while I was with your, with your guys' team after you guys played in the final was that I, – I'm trying to remember. I think it was the goalkeeper, Jimmy – was mentioning there was a big difference between last year and this year. So last year, all these guys were in limbo as well. They didn't know what their futures are going to be like. And this year, they still don't know what their futures are going to be like if there's going to be a team. But the big difference was that you agreed to pay their salaries this year because Jimmy was talking about his wife and some of the other guys were talking about their kids and and things like that. And and these guys weren't weren't worried that their that their livelihoods were going to be affected. Like they they knew they were actually going to be able to put food on their tables, and that was a decision that you made that you didn't have to make. A lot of times the owners wouldn't make that decision, and you look at the guy. No, at, no, at, at no. The, Listen, but that's uh, look. I, I don't have in my company. I got forty six hundred employees. You know, go and check it out. Every other industry, every other major industry has had layoffs, but not Rocco. You know, uh, yeah. and I've been at this in my company for twenty two years. Never had a layoff here. You know, unfortunately, there's a forced layoff, you know, caused by... Uh, so I'm going to try to take care of my players, my staff, the front office, and everybody else, you know, along with that. But think about this. So I made all these announcements that I'm not going to play next year. Put it up front, you know. And you haven't heard one player say negative things about me. Or one fan, basically, right? Think about the other situation that's occurring in America, which is in Columbus. Right? So this guy that owns Columbus is going to move the team, supported by Don Garber and the USSF, right? Move the team uh, from Columbus. And he's getting rimmed. You know, everybody's flaking him up. You know, it's amazing, 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 you know, that even something like that is even considered and accepted in this country. That's not the history of soccer. It's like a team in Milan, you know, moving everyone, you know, to Rome. You know, it doesn't happen in Europe. You know that, right? So this is an American, and it comes from the football experience. It comes from the baseball experience. You know, the Dodgers used to be in Brooklyn back in the 50s. And then they moved to Los Angeles, right? So it's accepted in this country. And that's the number one reason why we don't do well in soccer in this country. We don't want to take, turn it into an American game, which is not. Soccer is an international game. So let's follow the best as opposed to asking the best, asking the best to follow us because of our money power, if you follow me, right? Yeah. I guarantee you, I guarantee you 
that the arrogance with these people in U.S. soccer, when they look at a team from Croatia, they say, who the hell is Croatia? Four million people? What do we have to look up to? We're big America. Well, maybe they should go to Croatia and learn what Croatia's done right. God bless them. Everyone that lives in Croatia. Okay? Go and learn. If you want to learn something about soccer, go, go and see what those kids are doing right to become what they've become. you got superstars you know, all over the world that succeeded from, from this little country called Croatia. And that's a perfect, perfect example of what I've been talking about, you know, for ages. Just that, you know, I've been talking about this for 50 years, all right? Just that it's only in the last year that people are beginning to hear me because I own the Cosmos, right? <laughs> and, and uh, you know, and, and that's, and, and I don't want to wait for the sake of, you know, your kids, John. I don't have any grandkids yet. My kids don't play soccer anymore. They're too old, right? And uh, for the sake of, of the younger generation in America, that I truly want to see a way. I think the way I put it out is, you know, this is our opportunity to have a monumental change in American soccer to the extent because if Sunil's resonate, you're not wanting to run, and because we finally have the opportunity to go out, and, to go out you know, and elect somebody that's a soccer first person, a guy like, you know, Eric. Um, so, look, I wish all these candidates um, uh, the best. You know, uh, some will have more support than not for me, but largely because of what Eric did when nobody else did. You know, I'm, whenever I make my announcement, I'm probably leading, you know, more than leaning towards Eric Ronaldo. okay? And I think the rest of the country should lean towards him. He's an American boy is excelled in the soccer field, is represented America well. I know they're trying to paint him as another mini rocker when it comes to his mouth, right? Um, and they're not going to succeed. You know, he's not part of the, the echo chamber, right? They all like to listen, talk to each other, right? So Eric's got a different voice and a very well thought out voice. And like me, like you, like your dad, you know, we're all passionate about the game and no other sport. Yeah, I got a I got an interesting uh, text and phone call last night, and I actually uh, I tweeted it out that that Eric's now the leading um, candidate for the USSF presidency now that Sunil's backed out, and everybody was kind of expecting this this Kathy Carter uh, lady to to kind of come in and, and take over Sunil's like spot. But what a lot of people don't realize is that Eric has great relationships with the with the people that are on the athletes council. That he's been going around and meeting all these state associations, and he's been going around and meeting all that with the with all the youth councils and these people that are actually voters. And so he's not only getting a lot of attention from social media and 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 you know players, coaches, fans of the game, but he's also getting a lot of the support from the people that actually vote and that are going to make the decision in February in Florida when they when they go to vote. So. It's uh, it, it's an important it's an important time. It's a very important time. And, and yeah, and, and unfortunately, you know, uh, Kathy, I don't know this person, you know, but she does have the support of the pro council, which is controlled largely because controlled by Garber. So Garber yeah. appointed Steve Malik uh, through his votes. He has fifty-seven percent of the votes. You know, we also have the women's league, the USL. So because of this interlinkage, uh, interlinkage and because of the minority type of votes that we have on the NSL, uh, I agree with you that uh, that's where Kathy strength is, you know, our linkage to, to the MLS and Don Garber. But the pro council is only about 20% of the votes. 
25% of the vote. You follow me? Yep. So I think Eric is getting a lot of support or will get a lot of support from the youth. He will get lots of support for sure um, from the uh, amateurs, right? The other adult amateurs. And I, as a next player, I would think uh, next professional player, not just because somebody wasn't a goalie in college. You, you, you know what I'm talking about, right? Exactly. Um, um, yeah, a professional player who has starred for the national team, who has brought us to glory uh, in the national team. I, I think he should get the players. So if he gets the players, he gets the youth, or a huge chunk of the youth, and he gets the, the other council, uh, he's got a very, very, very good chance to become the next president of the USSR, which what? would bring, frankly, a lot of changes to America. What a lot of people underestimate is the 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 fraternity or or the the partnership, the bond between ex players that ex players share, men men's and women's, and it's very unique in in the United States soccer uh, landscape because they've all kind of been screwed over in in the in the same way, and so they all kind of both or they all kind of have that chip on their shoulder, and and I'm not saying that Eric is playing off of that, but I think that everybody kind of understands that Eric's been through it and understands the 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 pain that the athletes have kind of gone through and that's going to be a lot different. Eric's able to approach those guys a lot different guys and girls, sorry, a lot different than Kathy Carter can or uh, a Carlos Cordero can, because those are the people that have been part of the decision-making that has screwed the players over. So Eric, right, Eric no has a unique it. relationship right, right. there. No, look, I mean, I, I, how could you accept a system of play in this country where a single entity uh, entity um, like MLS controls all the players, right? Where they negotiate all the players' contracts, where, uh, yes, they have designated players, where aging superstars, so aging stars like Perlo, like Lampard, like Vela, like Henry, Dogma, Progba, whatever his name is, you know, come to this country and get super paid, you know, so they could retire. And then you have the American boys, you know, American guys, you know, uh, that, that probably getting paid fifty, a hundred, hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. How could you rationalize that as being good for American soccer? Right? I'm talking about five million versus hundred fifty. You follow me? Five million versus hundred. That's un should be unacceptable. Uh, the other thing is, uh, I, I'm hearing. I didn't know this, but I'm hearing. That this Carter lady, you know, never did anything for the women when the women had their lawsuit with the league. Um, that she never came out in support of the women. So we know where she stands with respect to women's rights. I probably said more about, you know, how I like to see women get treated in this country, you know, in, in, in soccer that she has. And I've been only around now for a year. I know how I, we treat the women at Columbia which is at the same level as the men at Columbia. And I'm fully supportive of both because they both play in my field, Columbia University, that is. You know, but in my understanding, you did very little to support the women's, um, you know, during the court proceedings or during the TIF that they had with the USSR. Uh, so Eric, I think even with the women, Eric stands a better chance. I think so, too. Uh, I think so, too. And one of, the, one of the more interesting things that got pointed out when Kathy first... Uh, when Kathy first announced that she was going to run and everybody immediately like digs in, right? Everybody's trying to find anything they can about her. And one of the, the most interesting, interesting things that came out right away was that 
Kathy Carter doesn't follow the women's national team on Twitter. She follows Taylor Twelman. She follows Alexi Lawless. She follows Copa 90, which is like this little documentary company that's on YouTube. So she follows, she, she knows how to use Twitter, but she doesn't follow the women's teams. She follows MLS. She doesn't follow NWSL. Why, why is that? That's, that's very suspicious. Right. Not to me. only that, then I heard, then I read somebody saying that she eliminated from our resume, one of our bad uh, situations. Yeah, I saw the, that too. Uh, right, that she was involved with an entity that uh, got charged with corruption, fraud, the payoffs, bribes, whatever. She wasn't, but the entity was and went bankrupt. And uh, and then she removed that from her resume. Wow, wow. So look, um, <laughs> she does. She has very little uh, to fear. <laughs> you know, if she's good, if she's supportive, if she has a clean record, she has a good record. You know, that people are going to treat her nice. I, I, you know, people should treat her nice. But if you lie, if you mislead, you know, if you play to play games and try to screw somebody in favor of another league, if in our new position, in running for a new position, she hasn't come out straight out of the bat and say, you know, I'm in support of what Rocco suggests, that the USSF should be an independent uh, regulatory body. Would not. Let her come out and say that. And then maybe I'll think about it. How's that? Yeah, I uh, think that I, I think that's out. actually that's a that's a very very good point. Is that if somebody were to come out and say something like that, that changes the game. But I don't think that she'll. I I, I don't anticipate her saying that at all. Well, give her the benefit of the doubt. She still has the chance to say it. True. Okay. Uh, but but Kathy, if you listen to me, don't be the last one, you know, to say that because then 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 it doesn't make any sense. You should come out this week so I could hear it, right? That you're going to come out and running for the USSF. I'm going to make sure that uh, what Rocco asked for, which is a fair ask, that uh, all linkage between USSF and uh, MLS will disappear, all financial linkages. That the USSF will become a truly independent uh, agency, a truly independent regulatory authority, standard setting authority, to make sure that every, uh, you know, that every league in this country gets, gets treated with respect. And honesty. Yeah, and and Rocco, I don't I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I've had you for I've actually had you on the phone for almost two hours, <laughs> but we've only been recording right, for a little so bit more finish. than more let's than an finish. hour. Hey, um, what? It's the month of December. I know that there's another there's another uh, court hearing, and and Cosmos are kind of uh, I guess on pause right now. But what what's going on with the team, or, or do you have a message for the team at all for the people that are that are listening? Well, look, uh, John, that, that's, uh, that's a tough message to deliver to the guys and ladies, right, uh, to the front office personnel as well as the team and their families because it's during the holidays. But they've been very, very supportive of me as I've been supportive of them. Talking about the coaching staff, Gio, Savarese, you know, the, all the players, right, but as important, all the, all the family members, which is I always worry about, right? How's the little kid going to go back to school? You know, she have to go uh, back to Spain or Venezuela, right? Uh, to go to school, assuming they're on their visa, whatever, right? So just bear with me. You know, I don't have any better news to give you today than I did a week ago. And you heard what I had to say. The court proceedings uh, uh, come out. Uh, will take place on December 15th, and we expect 
we, you know, we expect a decision immediately thereafter, uh, at which time we'll give you some more news, good or bad, right? Um, but I just want to thank all my, everyone, the fans, the public, the politicians who have stepped up to the front um, to help us and support us. Uh, yeah, stay firm, as I'm staying firm, in trying to get a better deal for America, for American soccer, and for the Cosmos, you know. I cannot deal, frankly, with a team that only has a six-month potential life. Uh, I need a runway to develop the team, uh, to build a stadium eventually, to find a way of building a stadium, getting to a stadium. That's pretty important, right? And to see a different path to stabilizing the financial situation of the league or anybody that is involved, you know, of the league and, and the New York Cosmos, right? Because... You know, we get no television money right now, John, and you can't succeed in sports without television money. You're not going to make your money out of $10 tickets, $20 tickets, right? That doesn't even pay, you know, the, the lease at the stadium. Then you have the players and so on, right? So we need a runway. We need the ability to stabilize the league, stabilize the cosmos, so I could then plan, you know, for the future so that... Whoever comes, gets involved with the Cosmos, I could say to them, as I could say with Mediacom employees, you know, come with us because, you know, we've been around for so many years and we expect to be around. I can't say that to the Cosmos today. So stay with me, ladies and gentlemen, uh, guys and boys, little girls and little boys that come to uh, games at the Cosmos. And give me another week or two uh, to see what happens in the court system so that I could then tell you what's going to happen next. I'm okay. wishing you guys. I'm, I'm wishing you guys I all the luck, Rocco. Yeah, well, no, thank I... you, John. You've been absolutely wonderful. I'm so glad to uh, to have spoken to someone, uh, you know, that comes from this great uh, uh, ethnic community called the Croatian community. I'm very familiar familiar with them. I think I told you that uh, one of my uh, uh, players uh, friends uh, uh, played with me in uh, in college, and we developed a great relationship. 50 years ago, 60, uh, 50 years ago, exactly, uh, 50, 49 years, whatever it was, um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I have an affinity for countries uh, that have this, uh, small countries that have this hugely successful, hugely strong uh, tradition in soccer, where it's Uruguay, which is a small country, it's even smaller than your country, right? or Belgium, or Holland, right? It's not, you don't have to be big to be successful, but you also can't be as big as the USA is, you know, and be unsuccessful. And we have been, in the man's world, that we have been unsuccessful. Shame I on agree. us. I agree, man. I agree. Well, thank you so much for your time, Rocco, and, and I wish you guys all the the, the best of luck in, in the court proceedings and, and in the future as well. And, and to all the Cosmos players, families, and, and everybody that you're that you're uh, affiliated with, just happy holidays and stay strong. Thank you. Same to you and your family. All right. Thank you, let, let, John. Are we finished? Yeah, I can cut it there. <laughs> for listening to another episode of the 343 podcast a big huge thank you to Rocco Camiso for joining me and being super generous with his time it was great to uh to get to talk to Rocco and get to hear about 
Uh, a little bit about his history. <laughs> the, the Chuck Blazer story was uh, was funny to me. I had no idea about that, and I'm sure you guys got a kick out of that too. And just uh, just for for being a, a warrior for U.S. soccer, for American soccer, Rocco Camiso is an amazing person, and it's all evidenced by his work that he's putting in right now. So I hope that we can all kind of get behind Rocco and get behind the New York Cosmos and their staff and players and really just be with them and the rest of NESL and the rest of uh, lower division soccer right now and let's try to let's try to open this sucker up what do you think all right if uh, if you want more episodes of this podcast or if you want to learn more about our coaching programs that we offer you can find all of that at 343coaching.com so we offer our free seven-week program and we also offer our premium coaching program both of those are worth uh, well worth your time if you are trying to up your game in the coaching world and if you just want to learn a little bit more about it as a fan uh, or as a parent we got stuff for you there too so be sure to check out 343coaching.com that's the numbers 3, 4, and 3 and then coaching all spelled out .com alright we'll catch you next time here on the 343 podcast thank you for listening we appreciate you have a good one <laughs>